Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Anderson Picard. I am so happy to be here with you today for the inaugural episode of the Double Play Podcast. Uh, so excited to have this show up and running. Um, to explain a bit about what this podcast will be, we're going to be half baseball, half football. It's under Primetime Sports Talk, so it's a member of the Primetime Sports Talk Network. Make sure to check out Primetime Sports Talk on Twitter at Talk Primetime and online at primetimesportstalk.com. Also, make sure to follow this show on Twitter at Double Play PTST, and make sure to follow me, your host, Anderson Picard, at Anderson Picard. So excited to get going. As I mentioned, we're going to do half baseball, half football. We also have some interviews lined up. Today's episode, we'll talk about ideas for resuming baseball, how Major League Baseball and the NFL could work together for their drafts, an NFL first round, not necessarily mock draft, but a look at which players could go where, some of the best fits, some of, the, some of my favorite prospects. And then, of course, how the NFL draft will work, because uh, members of NFL Network and ESPN spoke with the media this week regarding how the draft will uh, will go down. And then, of course, the XFL is dead. Big news from the XFL as they file for bankruptcy. We'll get into that a little bit more. And we have more uh, that we'll touch on throughout the show. And as I mentioned, two great interviews planned for this episode. So let's get right in. We'll start by discussing the Major League Baseball plans for resuming this season. Now, the first plan that was proposed, and perhaps the most likely likeliest, is the Arizona plan. So this is the most likely path if teams really do want to have a season. And obviously, as fans, we want to have a season. Major League Baseball has continued discussing ways for the season to happen, and the most likely plan is this Arizona plan. All 30 teams would be located in central Arizona, quarantined in hotels. They'd play their games in spring training ballparks and Chase Field, of course, which is home of the Diamondbacks. There's also some backfields where minor league spring training games are played. Those could be used as well. Obviously, all plans as of now would come with no fans, as it seems like we'll be in not necessarily isolation, but there's no realistic way to pack 30 to 40,000 people in a stadium until at least August or September. So this plan would come with no fans, of course. Uh, it would also include weekly testing for coronavirus and quarantining positive test cases, as well as isolation in general for the players. Uh, as Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic reported, this plan would need to be approved by owners and then the players. Some of the tidbits and facts about this proposed plan, or at least uh, mentioned plan, it hasn't necessarily been proposed yet, but... Uh, Players have already agreed to take prorated salaries based on a shortened season because, obviously, we're not getting 162 games in. The owners would be asking them to likely take even less than that because they wouldn't be getting money from uh, concessions and parking and ticket sales and all that, all that stuff that owners thrive on. Players would also have to be away from their families for a while. Who knows how long? It's most likely that this plan would if it if it does go into effect in May or June this plan would likely last the whole whole season i don't think they're going to start everything in arizona and then branch out back to their home stadiums so players would be away from their families for i mean may june july august september possibly october depending on how things look so that's you know that's 5 or 6 months right there that's a long time uh, Mike Trout has said that he'd be missing the birth of his first child, which obviously is something you don't want to happen. Um, he could always leave the facilities to go back and be with his family during the birth, but then you have to keep in mind that he could potentially carry the virus to his wife or his child. Uh, so that's that's something that needs to be considered, of course, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of backlash among players for that. And then there's even been speculation that players could still be isolated. Beyond being isolated in hotel rooms, they could be social distancing by sitting in the stands. So we'd have managers, coaches, players sitting in the stands six feet apart from each other, which would just be wild. I mean, that would be something fascinating to watch in the TV broadcast. It's crazy. There's really no way to fathom that until you see it. So there's a long way. We're a long way away from seeing that happening. Um, but the Arizona plan does seem like it has the most steam out of all the proposals. Um, still far-fetched, and who knows if it'll happen, but that's the most likely path. Then there's another 
potential uh, idea with a spring training realignment, which would be the Yankees and Phillies would be in the same division. You know, the Red Sox and and Braves would be in the same division. Uh, the uh, the Cubs and the Athletics or the Dodgers and the Indians and Angels, they'd all be in the same, they'd all be in their own little divisions. It would be a realignment of the spring training leagues. So we'd have the Grapefruit League, North, South, and East, and the Cactus League, Northeast, West, and Northwest. Now this generally would feature three of three teams of one, uh, either the AL or the NL, and then two teams from whichever league doesn't have three teams. Uh, this would allow teams to return to their spring training sites, and they would likely have a little spring training before the season kicks in. So they'd be able to resume their spring training where, the, where it left off, because obviously it's tough for players to just get right back out there and start. That's why spring training is here, so players can get ready for the season. Uh, there would be exhibition games, training, all that stuff, and then the season would begin. Obviously, still not going to get 162 games in, and it's likely that it would follow the same, uh, I guess, idea as the Arizona League with players sitting in the stands and social distancing and isolation ideas. But it helps that, you know, they're split up between two states. There's only um, 15 teams in Arizona and 15 in Florida. So I guess that has pros and cons. Uh, Teams would be able to establish home bases with facilities they're familiar with because they would most likely be in their spring training stadiums, um, except for the Diamondbacks would get Chase Field and the Rays would get uh, Tropicana and the Marlins would get their, their stadium. Um, it would, I mean, games could go all day long. Uh, there's there's no reason to have, every, I mean, everyone's home. There's no reason to wait for that primetime audience at, at 8 p.m. Games could start at, 10 a.m., especially in Florida, and then that would allow teams in Arizona to play those primetime 7 p.m. Arizona time games, 10 o'clock East Coast. Um, you could still get, you could resume the season where it begins. Obviously, you wouldn't get the 162 games, but if you miss, say, 30 days, maybe you could get 132 games. Uh, ideally, playoffs would still go on. You'd maybe have the top two teams from each division from the East or for, for, yeah, from the little mini divisions. And then, of course, you would probably have the winner of the Cactus League in Arizona against the winner of the Grapefruit League in Florida. Who knows where those would be played? Uh, we don't know where things will be in, in October or November. So those are that's the basic information from those two plans. Again, they're so far down the road. Uh, it's unlikely we see any of them in May. So... At the earliest, we could see baseball back in June. And then, of course, there you have to consider minor league baseball. Does minor league baseball get played? Uh, it's not as much of a... It's, people don't watch as much minor league baseball as they do major league baseball, but the minors is still huge for the development of players, so that would need to be considered as well. Uh, in my opinion, I would say, yeah, start up... I guess I would say start up minor league baseball when you start up major league baseball, but then you have to find so many more stadiums. It'd probably just give them a shortened season, if I had to guess, uh, because you'd have to. You're first of all, you're putting, you're taking up your spring training stadium, so minor leaguers can't go there. Would they be in their regular season stadiums, which kind of defeats the whole purpose of the major league relocation in the first place? So that's all to be decided down the road. So now let's transition into our next topic: major league baseball draft. Uh, we don't have a lot of information on this right now, but it's presumably going to last about five rounds and there was talk between the NFL or NFL network and the MLB draft that there could be a similarity between the two drafts so the NFL draft coming up in uh, just a few days is going to be held virtually every team and player will be inside their own houses so the general manager will be inside of his own house uh, with with his war room on his computer instead of on his uh, in his room with him. So everyone will be virtual. Everything will be televised, though, as always, uh, in a unique fashion, but still televised. And it's likely that the MLB draft does the same thing, with everyone being in their own 
own houses, players in their own houses, cameras on them ready for the big moment, but cameras not being controlled by the network operators, rather a webcam or something like that. Uh, as for the draft itself, who knows? It could be as short as five rounds, but in the past it's been north of 40 rounds. Uh, it, I mean, that's a massive reduction. That's like 85%. So it would be 15% as long, which would be an 85% reduction in players drafted. Uh, scouts can presumably study videos. I'm just reading the report right now. This is from USA Today's Bob Nightingale, by the way. Uh, he said they can study video even going back to the players' Little League days, but cannot watch any film from after March 27th, which is interesting. I actually hadn't known that. Uh, obviously, this is all because of the coronavirus. We hope it doesn't have to get to that, but it seems likely that a virtual draft is, is what's going to happen for both baseball and football. Oh, obviously football, but hopefully hopefully not baseball, but it's trending that way. Uh, this draft has a lot of talented players, so it's a... It's always tough for a draft to be shortened, but this year specifically, there is so much talent, and there's going to be a big free agent pool of players who go undrafted and want to declare for the pros. It's going to be really fascinating to watch it all unfold. There's going to be different strategies and approaches taken by different teams. Who knows how it'll all turn out, um, but that's that's the basic gist of the MLB draft. Uh, I can't get into it too much right now because there's still a lot that's been undecided, uh, you'll just have to check back for future episodes to uh, to learn more about that. And before we get to our first interview, I'm going to talk briefly about the MLB The Show League. Uh, that league is a fully MLB player-involved league with one player from every single MLB team participating in a MLB The Show League, of course. So this comes after the NBA formed their 2K Players League in an attempt to provide entertainment and also raise funds for uh, charities and groups in need. Uh, one player from each team is participating in the virtual league to raise funds for the Boys and Girls Clubs of America and Canada. Major League Baseball, the Players Association, and Sony Interactive Entertainment are coming together to donate $5,000 on behalf of each participant for a total of $150,000, plus an extra $25,000 on behalf of the champion which brings it to a total of $175,000. The tournament will go in a round-robin format, so everyone will play everyone once, which should make for a really long but great season. Each game lasts three innings. The top eight teams, when all is said and done, uh, near the start of May, will advance to the postseason, eventually culminating in a World Series. MLB Network's Robert Flores will provide analysis and interviews as he has uh, throughout the first few games, we'll continue to do that. Throughout the course of the league's existence, the games being streamed on Twitch and YouTube. The list of participants, I won't get into everyone participating, but there's a lot of young players in there with positive presences and uh, and, and really strong presences. So, uh, 11 All-Stars, 5 World Series champions, and 8 players under the age of 25, according to a statement from Major League Baseball. It's It's really exciting to watch because... Quite frankly, I would never be someone to sit and watch someone else play video games. But right now, when you can't leave your house and there's no sports to watch, it's really a great way to not only watch baseball, even though it's virtual video game baseball, but also interact and see your favorite baseball players. So each team is represented, so that's an immediate perk for every single fan. And then you just get to watch them face off against their rivals and opponents. And they're all they're all great guys. They all have fun. They joke with each other throughout the games. They're they're intense and hardcore and they go they go for the win, but really it's just a great it's great to watch them all uh, you know, play play hard, I guess, and raise money for, for charities that are meaningful to them. And now as we wrap up the MLB portion of our show, we go to an interview with MLB's digital marketing analyst, Logan Bement. He joins the podcast to discuss the latest baseball chatter, such as what his job entails, how he sees the rest of the season going, and much more. Welcome to the show, Logan. If you wouldn't mind kicking us off with a little bit about who you are, what your job entails, uh, just a quick little introduction, that'd be great. Absolutely. Thanks, Anderson. So my name is Logan Bement. Um, 
I'm from Kennebunk, Maine, um, born and raised in New England. So huge Red Sox fan, Pats, Celtics, Bruins. Um, but right now I'm the manager of marketing analytics at Major League Baseball. And my job fits into the broader analytics department of MLB. Um, and, you know, at MLB, we definitely pride ourselves on being very data-driven and analytically focused, um, whether that's on or off the field. So my role is really to just lean into that and use all of the business data that we have at our disposal to provide our fans and customers with, you know, the digital content and ballpark experience that they want and deserve. Um, so, you know, in, in normal situations, that might mean that we're providing the best ticketing options and attendance options for fans. But, you know, especially now, given the, the circumstances we're in, um, that means creating interesting social media posts for folks to engage with. It means creating new and different um, contests and fan participation things that people can interact with digitally on, and on social media. Um, it also means, like, opening up our streaming archives and classic games so that we have um, fan, or giving fans the, the content that they want to watch when they want to watch it, which is um, a very modern approach to uh, content. Um, and, you know, where that relates to my job is I'm responsible for measuring all of the engagement on these platforms, on these initiatives, finding what's working, what's not working, and then using those learnings and data to come up with the next program, the next initiative that keeps our fans engaged and locked into baseball. Um, you know, right now it's a, it's a very challenging time across the country. So at baseball, we're trying to just provide fans with an outlet um, of their favorite games, their favorite teams, um, just something to distract themselves from what's going on outside in the greater world. So um, that's, that's a little bit of uh, background on my job. Um, but thanks again for having me. I'm looking at Looking forward to chatting with you today. Yeah, likewise. So you talked a little bit about the initiatives and events that you measure in your job. A couple weeks ago, Major League Baseball held the opening day at home event with teams' best games being streamed on social media platforms and websites. Can you explain to me a bit about that? Did that run through your department, the, the analysis and measuring success for that event? Absolutely. So that was um, a huge... Um, I think moral victory for us. We saw incredible engagement on all of our digital platforms. Um, just to recap folks who might not know about this event is every team on opening day, which was supposed to be the official in-park opening day for all our clubs, um, we ended up streaming a significant victory um, for each of those teams in the past 15, 20 years. So um, it featured a lot of really classic postseason and walk-off games for teams. So every club had a, a memorable game streaming online, whether it's on their social medias um, or MLB.com. Um, so we had incredible engagement on our website, on our app, on all of our social media accounts. We had terrific viewership as it seemed like folks were really tuning in and um, coming together around this concept of, you know, we can't we can't be together in a ballpark right now, but we can be together online, uh, you know, engaging and conversing about our favorite teams and players and memories. Um, so that was that was one initiative we were we we're really really involved in and measuring um, from an engagement and viewership standpoint. And we had a lot of great success stories there, um, particularly around the Mike Trout um, together commercial that was aired that day and subsequently the next few days. Um, so that was really our rallying cry, um, you know, where, where we can't have a traditional opening day. We still wanted to give our fans something that they could attend virtually, um, which we were very happy with how that turned out. Interesting. So what's that process like? What happens next once you read the data? Uh, who do you report it to? Do you begin brainstorming on future events? Can you, can you take me through what that's like? Absolutely. So I work with my manager, who is the director of analytics, um, and he will take all of our reports and he'll bring that to the commissioner himself in some cases. Um, we also have some marketing executives that review this, this data and these reports and um, kind of digest and see what happened. And then based on how those events went, um, we'll make suggestions to maybe try this sort of thing um, or you know, maybe avoid this sort of engagement. But 
you know, one thing that happened out of after opening day at home is we started doing MLB at home, which is um, just every night on social media, on TV, on MLB.com. We're just streaming pivotal games um, from the past 20 or 30 years. So uh, we took the success that we had on opening day at home, and we realized that fans are tuned in. They want to watch this this content. So we decided to stretch it out and continue that um, every night so that, you know, even though live baseball isn't on, there's still some pretty awesome baseball games being shown um, wherever you want to find them. Um, so that was a great example of taking some success that we've had and building on it and um, providing fans with something that they want to watch. Absolutely. And so when your department has potential ideas for future events, how do you guys measure the success for those ideas and brainstorm those ideas before they go public? Well, one thing I want to I want to highlight is our MLB The Show Players League, which we've been streaming mm-hmm. um, a lot on Twitch recently. Um, that was our next big initiative where we have a player representative from all 30 teams um, getting online, playing the show against other players. Um, we have a, a round-robin bracket, which will culminate in a playoff series um, in a few weeks once their, their virtual season is complete. But we've seen we've already picked up millions of views on those streams. Um, players are really buying into it. We have Robert Flores from MLB Network doing some color commentary and play-by-play, which has been really fun and interesting. We've gotten a lot of good player insights, both just how they're adapting to this new environment they're in. You know, when they're playing against a player, they'll have some funny stories about when they faced this player in the past. Um, So it's really opening up our players to be more accessible in a way that you don't normally get during the season because they're on, on the road, they're just playing all the time. Now you, you can hop in a chat room, watch a Twitch stream, you know, talk to Blake Snell, um, and we've seen a lot of really positive success there. So that was that's kind of one thing that we've we've worked on in the very recent past um, that we're we're super excited about. Absolutely. And how do you guys at Major League Baseball use your platforms to, I guess, manage that success by promoting these events on social media and via your website yeah so we really lean on social media for this right now just because that's we're getting a lot of traffic there and so a lot of people who want to interact with mlb are coming to our social media pages and our website so we're always posting about that we have we have basically accounts on every platform we can be on um so that includes the traditional facebook twitter instagram but we're on youtube we're on twitch we're on tiktok um, we obviously have a very robust email and website um, in terms of just getting the word out. So we're pretty much covering our bases, no pun intended, um, every way we can um, to really share this word, get it out, um, and make sure our, our fans are aware of all the things that we're producing for them because that's that's ultimately who these initiatives are for. So we, we do pretty much everything we can to, um, you know, target these, these audiences with stuff that's really interesting and we think they'd like. So the NBA had their 2K League and then MLB followed it up with the Players League. During times like these especially, how do you guys determine your success amongst other competitors and other leagues? What what sets your marketing and uh, publicity departments apart from those of the NFL, NHL, and NBA? I think it's just you know, an organizational buy-in from the commissioner all the way down to myself and then all the clubs across the league. Everyone's really interested in collecting as much data as possible, you know, building the data warehouses and the platforms that are required to bring in just tons and tons of data and then, um, you know, building up the staff that are equipped to analyze this data, produce reports, recommendations, um, so I think just the the data driven approach across the organization is is probably very unique to MLB, um, and it's something that you know every department, every team um, within MLB is is always looking at the data and what it says, and really going off of a subjective or excuse me objective um, point of view when it comes to making decisions and being nimble um, and and doing what's best for our fans. Um, and our clubs, um, I think, you know, just the ability to bring in all this data, 
understand it, and then act on it very quickly is something that we're, we're very proud of. And we just look forward to um, you know, improving our engagements with fans using this data as, as time goes on. Yeah. And then before we switch to our final topic, uh, can we circle back a bit? And can you talk to me a little bit about how your career has transpired, what your resume looks like, how you've climbed the ranks, different jobs you've held? Uh, just take me through your career so far. Sure. So my first job in sports was when I was a senior in high school. I interned for a local Woodbat Collegiate League. Um, it's the New England Collegiate Baseball League. It's kind of a a JV version of the Cape Cod League, um, but a lot of good players have come through that league. Um, it's a great, great development ground for, for future um, professional baseball players. But I got my first job doing that, just doing stadium operations, you know, basic ballpark functions. Um, but I was hooked. I loved being at a ballpark. I loved working for a sports team. And I knew that this was this was kind of the path I wanted to launch myself on. So um, during college, I went to the University of Connecticut, um, Huskies, and over the summers while I was in college, I worked for the Boston Red Sox in their marketing department, uh, working primarily in their fan and youth engagement group. So working on our fan clubs, um, you know, different fan like in ballpark fan engagement opportunities to provide the best uh, ballpark experience for fans who are coming to games. Um, in that role, I I started working with more of our our marketing and customer data, and I got you know very interested in understanding how the business of baseball works. So, um, you know, I, I got a, a lot of good background data analysis experience there, understanding just basic. Uh, business lingo and vernacular, uh, and then also, you know, getting into kind of some digital marketing and, um, you know, more uh, hyper-targeted sort of um, engagement campaigns that, you know, businesses or baseball teams can do. Um, so, you know, I, I did that for three years in college. I absolutely loved working for the Red Sox, and I knew that this was, once I graduated college, this is, this is the route I wanted to go. So I graduated college. I took a non-sports job with a consulting firm, um, which was great. It gave a lot of good technical and analytical experience, but I knew I needed to get back to sports. So I started looking around. Um, I found a job with MLB in their digital marketing department. Um, and so I started there just over two years ago um, and have kind of built built my career out from there. I started as an intern and worked up to a manager now in, in just about two years, like I said. So it's been, it's been a fun ride. It's been really quick, um, but I've learned a ton and working at MLB has been um, super exciting. Just, you know, comparing it to my experience working for a club, you know, when you're working for a club, you're really focused in on just that one team, obviously, because that's, that's who you're with, but being at the league, getting an opportunity to, you know, be involved with all 30 clubs and then all of the league initiatives that we're working on has been so much fun. It's so exciting. There's endless opportunities here for the league and the club. So, you know, I couldn't be happier where I am now. Um, and I'm really excited to continue to, to build out my team and um, continue to provide great value to, to our fans. Absolutely. And the league has done a great job so far interacting with fans and promoting baseball. I'm sure it'll be a challenging few months, but also a thrilling few months in terms of thinking of ideas to keep fans interested in the game while they wait for the regular season to begin, resume, uh, whatever happens to it. Yeah, you know, like it's it's definitely been different, but we've been super busy. We have all sorts of fun stuff going on for our fans, which is really awesome right now that we can provide something, um, even when our main product, which is baseball games, isn't really happening. So we've been actually really happy with the way we've been able to pivot and still service our fans in a meaningful way. Um, but yeah, absolutely. It's, it's challenging kind of thinking of where do we go from here and, and what, what the next season or next few seasons might look like. So it involves a lot of planning and kind of tough conversations, but it's also exciting to, to have this new opportunity to experiment or, you know, try something on the digital side that we haven't had necessarily the 
the time or opportunity to do. So um, it's it's a crazy time, but it's super exciting, and you know this is this is something that no one will ever forget. So if we're able to you know be there for our fans, I think we'll we'll um, do well in the long run. Definitely, and it's been great as a fan to be able to watch uh, you know the the players league on Twitch. And the content, you know, on, on TikTok and on Instagram, on YouTube. Um, before we wrap up, can you take me through, as a fan, what your perspective is on when the baseball season will return and how you think that could look? Sure. So, I mean, first of all, just as a fan or as an employee, I think it's important that we don't start having games until it's healthy for everyone, not just, you know, these superstar athletes. I think it's um, – that's really the first priority here. So until we see data and evidence that we're kind of on the other side of these, this thing, you know, I don't think it's going to make sense to play baseball, however long that might be. Now, as a fan, you know, I would love to have baseball back as soon as possible. Um, you know, it's, it's the thing I look forward to every spring, and this is the first time we haven't had it, so it's definitely definitely tough. But um, I, I really don't have a prediction as as to when we'll be back. I will say that, um, not that I'm you know, in these meetings at work necessarily, but a lot of the, the news and rumors that get leaked about MLB thinking this or they're going to do this wild thing, uh, a lot of those things don't, don't usually hold any water. Um, so I wouldn't read in too many of those things that are getting floated out there, but it does show that you know, we're looking to experiment and you know, the circumstances are going to call for a different type of season. So um, whenever that does happen, I think it's going to be a pretty unique year. Um, you know, the past 15 seasons have all kind of looked the same, um, which is a great thing. Everyone loves baseball, but this one is a is going to be an interesting one whenever it starts up. So I think, you know, personally, I'm, I'm excited to see what actually happens with this season because it's not going to be 162 games. It's not going to be you know what we have, I've been used to the last 20 or so years, but it's going to be an opportunity to try maybe a new format or just try a shortened season and see what that looks like. And maybe that'll allow you know a, a young upstart team to sneak into the playoffs, or um, you know a, a veteran gets one more shot at a World Series run that you know he might not have had given the full season. So you know I, I really don't know when the season will start, but. I'm excited for whatever version of baseball we get in 2020 because it's, it's absolutely interesting. Absolutely, and I'm sure no matter what, you and the league, you guys continue to do a great job. Thank you so much, Logan Bement, for taking the time to talk today. It's been a blast speaking with you about baseball. Stay safe, and uh, thanks for chatting. You too, Anderson. Thanks so much for having me. And without further ado, let's head over to the NFL portion of our show. We have a lot of NFL chatter with the NFL draft coming up. So let's kick it off with a look at a, not a first round mock draft, but a real focus on which players could go where in the first round. So Joe Burrow, essentially a lock for number one, assuming the Bengals hold on to the pick, which I'd say there's a 99% chance they, they do. So Burrow to the Bengals. After that, you have Chase Young to the Redskins. That seems almost as likely as Burrow to the Bengals. Uh, they're, yeah, give, I mean, that's easy a lock. That's easily a lock. So after that, you have the Lions. They'll likely take Jeffrey Okuda. And then there's time for stuff to change for the Giants. So the Giants have the fourth pick. They need an offensive lineman, but Isaiah Simmons, the linebacker from Clemson, who is being dubbed as the best prospect in this draft, so people are ranking him above Burrow, Young, and Okuda. Simmons is still on the board. And if he's not taken at four, he's not going to be taken at five or six means he could drop to number seven so the Giants are in an interesting position here they could go with an offensive lineman there's uh, Becton, Werfs, Wills, Thomas a bunch of great linemen available those are the top four linemen before you get a big drop off or they could go with Simmons and they do need help at linebacker so I would say Simmons is the way to go however I don't think they take Simmons at four I could see them trading down with the Chargers they have all the leverage in that trade Giants trade down with the Chargers. Chargers would move up to four, jump the Dolphins, and get Herbert because it's seeming more and more likely that the Dolphins don't take Tua Tagovailoa. There's a lot of stuff coming out about his injury, not only his history, but his future. 
in terms of injuries. So Herbert right now seems like the second best prospect. So if the Chargers take him at four, that allows the Giants to go down to six. They still get Simmons, but they build their draft capital for later on in the draft by potentially acquiring a second round pick and more. So I think that's the ideal trade for the Giants there. They have the leverage, of course. So the Chargers move up to four, take Herbert. Giants down to six, take Simmons. That leaves the Dolphins at number five. And at that point, they probably do decide, you know what, let's pull the trigger and go with Tua. Beyond then, you have the Panthers and Cardinals, probably going to take defensive linemen and offensive linemen, respectively. Uh, Browns are at number 10. Yes, I know we skipped the Jaguars. I'll skip a few picks, but... Browns are at number 10, and it seems like they'll take an offensive lineman. They have no reason not to. They've been looking at Trent Williams from the Redskins, but nothing has come to fruition. So it seems like Andrew Thomas from Georgia will be the first lineman off the board, or second lineman off the board, in my opinion. Uh, so Cardinals will take the first one. Browns will go with Andrew Thomas from Georgia. Then the Jets. With Jedrick Wills and Trifton Wirfs still available, I think the Jets will go with... Jerry Judy, um, and if not Judy, a different wide receiver. I think they'll focus on receiver before they go with offensive linemen, even though this year's wide receiver class is stacked. So I see them going receiver. Raiders will go receiver. And then I see the Niners going receiver too. They could use an offensive lineman or address a different position, but I would see wide receiver right now. They lost Emmanuel Sanders to the Saints. They did sign uh, Travis Benjamin, and they have Debo Samuel coming back. But that's not super strong. And they're a contending team. They need, they, I mean, obviously, NFC champions in 2019. They need that wide receiver group to be back up to where it was last year, if not better. CeeDee Lamb is the right guy to do so. I see them going with a wide receiver, top wide receiver available, who in my mock draft I have going with CeeDee Lamb. Bucks should go offensive linemen, hold off on running back. Broncos will be forced to go linemen because the top three wide receivers will be gone. Falcons, who knows? I'm going to skip right over that because... There's no idea. They're going to do something on defense, but it's hard to tell what. 17, Cowboys, again, kind of in the same position. They're going to do something on defense. Maybe linebacker, maybe cornerback. Hard to tell. Dolphins have another pick. Their second of three first-round picks. I have them going safety, Xavier McKinney from Alabama. After that, 19, the Raiders are on the clock. They already drafted a receiver. They'll address defensive line or defensive edge with their with the 19th overall pick. Then the Jaguars at 20. This is their second pick of the draft. They'll go with second, or secondary help with both of their uh, first-round picks. Eagles, after that, could reach for a receiver. I see it more likely they take Patrick Queen from LSU. Traditionally, don't draft a lot of linebackers in the first round, but I see them going for it here with Queen. Vikings, after that, they get defensive help. Patriots, Probably going to go offensive line, although in my latest mock draft, I do have them taking a wide receiver. And uh, I don't know. There's, like I mentioned, there's a big drop down of offensive line after the after the first four are gone. You, have, you end up with guys like Ruiz. Um, so I could see the Pats trading down here, getting still being able to get the fifth best lineman available, but accumulating another late round pick. Saints are at 24. They go defensive help. Vikings have another pick after picking, uh, after taking secondary help at 22. They go with defensive line help at 25. Dolphins have their third pick of the draft. I've got him taking a running back. J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State, uh, first running back taken. I have him going to Miami because he's so electric. Uh, really a great fit for them in that in that new young offense. Obviously now with Tua uh, and and some some good wide receivers who prove that they can they can be talented last last season. Uh, Devontae Parker really shining last year 27 Seahawks take either offensive line help or defensive line help somewhere in the trenches who knows if it'll be on the offensive defensive side 28 Ravens probably going to take offensive line or wide receiver uh, offensive line it's always helpful when you have a mobile quarterback like Lamar Jackson but he's proven that he doesn't necessarily need it 2019 was obviously an amazing season for him just blown away by his skills in 20, 2019 so I have them taking a wide receiver then you go to the Titans. Defensive line, I would say that's a lock. Packers at 30 is a little tougher. I think they'll probably go with best player available. I have them taking LSU wide receiver Justin Jefferson, but I wasn't really confident with that. Niners with their second pick of the draft after taking a wide receiver earlier will finally decide to go offensive line. 
And Chiefs at 32 will go pass rusher on the defensive line. Of course, that was a full mock draft without any trades. Uh, well, with the one trade, actually, the Chargers trading trading up with the Giants. Um, and then I mentioned the Patriots could trade back. There, There's a lot of talent in this year's first round, and there's a lot of depth. So instead of just, I mean, if you look beyond talent, you see a lot of depth at wide receiver, some good depth at quarterback. Uh, offensive line has great depth. I mean, the blown away by the offensive line and wide receiver depth here, which is good for teams like the Jets, who really need uh, both offensive line and wide receiver help here. I could potentially see them drafting two or three linemen or two or three wide receivers in this draft because the talent is there, so why not take it? Now that we've got that covered, we'll take a look at how the NFL draft will work. I touched on this earlier when talking about the MLB draft, so this will be brief, but the NFL draft will be all virtual. Players will be in their own houses, and there will not be... So there will be cameras in those houses, but they will not be operated by people from ESPN or NFL Network. Instead, the players will and coaches and executives will be there to set them up, set up the cameras, and they'll do everything by themselves only if they need help. They'll be, uh, they'll be able to either contact or meet with people from the networks to help them out but their uh, ESPN and NFL Network had a conference call this week and they really were adamant that they're trying to stay out of the houses trying to keep people safe uh, essential personnel only in the ESPN and NFL Network League offices and they're just working hard to produce the best virtual draft they can they know it's not going to be normal but they're still trying to make it a success uh, they have lots of good stories and uh, different features that they expect to run uh, they'll have their camera personalities uh obviously guys guys both reporters and and on our talent um will be there virtually they did say that they're going to tell their you know, that espn and nfl network are telling their reporters to not leak the picks before they happen so in past years there have been reports from the top reporters in the industry saying hey so and so is going to this team here and they say that way before Roger Goodell even announces the pick, which it's fun to, you know, know the pick before it happens. But in reality, Roger Goodell does a great job announcing the picks, making making it really tough to get those tough as a fan to hear what the picks are before it actually happens, because that takes the excitement, excitement away from when the pick is actually announced by Goodell. So this year, NFL Network and ESPN are telling guys like Schefter, Rappaport, Palacero, Mortensen, not to report the picks until the commissioner announces them. Now, ESPN and NFL Network have no control over the other networks, so uh, places like Fox Sports and The Athletic, there's no telling what they do. They can probably still report the picks, but ESPN and NFL Network want success on their show. They want all eyes on Roger Goodell when he makes the pick, so they're telling the reporters not to leak the picks. And again, we're not sure how firm that restriction is and what the penalty will be if a reporter decides to go against that. And now, the final little segment of our show, we have talk about the XFL. So the XFL suspended its operations a few weeks back, uh, the day after Rudy Gobert tested positive, or a couple days actually, actually took them a while, a few days after Rudy Gobert tested positive for coronavirus. Uh, obviously things have gotten so much worse since then. We know there were there's no games being played. Um, we, we, knew, we knew every sport would be suspended, but now we're thinking deeper than that because the XFL laid off all of its employees, including Commissioner Oliver Luck, and then they filed for bankruptcy. So filing for bankruptcy doesn't necessarily mean the league is done, but they don't have the funds available, obviously, anymore to pay back the people they owed. Uh, they were able to pay some of their or most of their employees uh, temporarily before laying them off. But now they filed for bankruptcy. They owe money to some of their shareholders, which include coaches and executives. And they're really, they're not going to be back in 2021. We don't know about the future, but it seems like Vince McMahon, his time with the XFL is done. Uh, someone else could start a new XFL, because obviously the league had a lot of success this year, and it would have kept going if it weren't for the coronavirus. Uh, but 
Don't listen to me talk about that. Let's listen to the expert. We're here speaking with our with MJ Hurley for our second interview of the show. MJ Hurley was a former host of Examining the XFL uh, before the XFL ended its season. Uh, he's a sports expert with great knowledge. We're excited to talk to him. Welcome to the show, MJ Hurley. If you could first tell me a little bit about you, who you are, what you do, just a quick little introduction, that'd be great. Of course. So thank you, Anderson, for having me. My name is MJ Hurley. I am a sports communication major at Bradley University, which is a couple hours south of Chicago. Um, I met Anderson because I hosted the Examining the XFL podcast for about 12 weeks covering the XFL. Unfortunately, that league has folded. So now I am moving on to bigger and better things, trying to start my own website, YouTube channel, and a new podcast that's all going to come out uh, around May 4th. So that is my little summary of myself. So, of course, the XFL filed for bankruptcy, laid off its employees. For you, as someone who covered the XFL, that was your main sport. How hard was it for you to see all of that happen and transpire within the course of a few days? It was very hard. I mean, the the thing that I loved about the XFL was the stories. And if you get deep into any sports league, I mean, that is what uh, people really love is the stories. And I could ramble on about how, like, Major League Baseball needs to do a better job about promoting their players and promoting stories. But that's a that's an interview for a different day. But the reason I love the XFL is, like their slogan, their slogan was, for the love of football. And I think that's all why we love that league so much, because these were all guys who naturally um, – if they were in that league, they didn't make it in the NFL, or they did, and then they unfortunately had to leave the league. And so they were guys who were hungry. They were passionate about the game of football, and the talent level was on par um, with a professional football league. So to see spring football go with such unfortunate, unfortunate circumstances with the coronavirus and everything involved in that, when we really all thought the league would succeed, uh, it was also just a very sudden happening. I mean, between that Friday and Monday of last week, they went from just suspending, you know, play for the rest of the year to firing all of their employees and filing bankruptcy. So it was very surprising. And for myself and everyone covering the league, but also all of the fans from what I saw on Twitter, other than the people making fun of the league who were doing that the entire time anyway. But everybody I saw and have talked to that loved the league was just pretty crushed and we're all hoping that somehow it will come back in the future. Definitely. And then we spoke briefly on the day that the XFL laid everyone off, but what is the reaction and what have you heard from the players and the employees who were laid off about the abrupt ending? So a little bit of a timeline on what happened on that Friday. So I woke up, I'm central time because I'm in Chicago, so I woke up at like 11. I slept in late that day. Don't don't judge me. Uh, <laughs> I woke up at like 11 and I had about 12 text messages. I had text messages from, like, Jay Noakes, uh, other people that I've covered the XFL with, Matthew Shapiro, like, dude, what's going on? And so I went on Twitter, and about 20 minutes before that, um, the XFL employees themselves started announcing that they had been fired. We still haven't actually gotten a statement from the league, really, um, there was a little bit of a statement after they filed bankruptcy, but they never actually said anything about laying off all of their employees, which actually included, I found this out yesterday, actually included the commissioner, Oliver Lux. They fired him too. So, uh, I mean, he had a guaranteed contract, obviously. But what I heard that day from employees, I talked to Bailey Carlin, and I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of people who followed the XFL saw him on social media. He was the guy who kind of ran all of the social media accounts for the XFL. And even he wasn't warned about this. He found out at the same time everybody else did, um, and they were told they would get paid through that next Sunday, and they could, they and the players could stay on insurance through the rest of the month, I believe, and then they would have to find other insurance. And so I've talked to Bailey. He's filed. He's already filed for unemployment in Connecticut, which is also a weird little quirk that anybody who was working for the actual league office and not for, like, an independent team. So let's say somebody was working for the D.C. Defenders, so they would file for employment either in D.C. or in Maryland. But somebody who is working for the league office has to file for employment in Connecticut. So in Bailey's case, when he lives in New York, 
he still technically has to file for unemployment in Connecticut. So there are a lot of little things like that that the XFL has not been helping their employees with, which doesn't look very good. Um, but from the practical side of it, I could see why it's hard to pay all of those employees when you're not making revenue. And as it was, they weren't really making money to begin the season. But Vince McMahon had the pockets to deal with that amount of a deficit, but he just didn't have the uh, ability to deal with a deficit when they weren't making any revenue at all. Um, and then on the flip side with the players, um, they were sent out. So at about noon Eastern that Friday, the employees got an email that they were laid off with all of that information. And then about two hours later, the players got an email um, and they had already been, I already got, had gotten a text that morning uh, from LA Wildcats players saying, I think something's going on because I got 1600 extra dollars on my XFL check today, which was not normal. And a lot of players were seeing that. So basically they gave them their last two game checks in one check and then said, you're on our insurance for the rest of the month. And other than that, we're done. You're released from your contract. You can go do whatever you want. So pretty much everybody involved, including myself, everyone covering the league, we were very surprised, very confused. And the only quote-unquote statement we got from the league was actually Bailey just tweeting a, a gif on the Twitter account as he signed out of it. So, I mean, it's still kind of confusing. The timeline is very odd. And I would enjoy a statement from the XFL and I'm not really sure why we haven't gotten one at this point. Right. That surprised me, too. And as every day passes, I keep waiting for, for the announcement from them, but nothing has come. Uh, you mentioned the loss of financial revenue from the league when the coronavirus hit, obviously, unexpectedly. Can you explain to me a bit about the success that the league had and what the future would have looked like if the league wasn't uh, suspended so abruptly? Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, it was set up for success. The biggest reason because of that um, was Vince McMahon took more of a hands-off approach than he did in XFL 1.0 in 2001. He hired uh, Commissioner Oliver Luck. I almost said Andrew Luck. That's his son. Um, <laughs> he hired Commissioner Oliver Luck to run the league. They took two years. They had a lot of good football people involved. But the biggest thing to me was, A, the quality of play, which I already mentioned. I mean, the dudes were big. They were big football guys. They were fast. They were just as talented as some guys in the NFL, it was just some guys were a little bit older, some guys were a little bit younger. They hadn't exactly had their chance yet. Then on the flip side, on the production side, the reason that I thought the XFL was going to be way more successful than the AAF ever was, uh, the league that folded in early 2019, is because they had the TV deals that the AAF didn't. So every week, all four games were airing on ESPN and Fox or their subsidiaries, so like Fox Sports 1, ESPN 2, things like that. So when you have games airing on the channels that are seen in the public eye as the most credible sports channels, you turn to ESPN, whatever on ESPN, if you're looking for sports, you're going to watch it. So that's where the XFL was getting a lot of their interest from. And then on the field, not just the talent, but a lot of their rule changes that were just revolutionary and made the game so much more exciting, not just to watch, but to cover and to play. I really think they were going to do well. Um, Obviously, they weren't making a profit initially, and Vince McMahon had told everyone up front, we're not going to be making a profit initially. Don't worry about that. Please don't report about that. I have the money to put into it. Um, it's just kind of unfortunate that the coronavirus happened. And then to touch on the possibility of the league going forward, it was recently announced that the XFL, in their Chapter 11 bankruptcy hearing, uh, their lawyers said they are putting the XFL trademarks and logos and slogans up for sale. And they're looking to have a buyer by July. Now, I don't know exactly what that means. And there is an uh, economic reasoning behind some very rich guy coming in and just buying the league. And he can restructure the debt and actually make money off that. I won't get into that. That's very complicated. But my hope is that somebody who really loves the game of football Somebody who saw what potential the XFL had uh, would come in and kind of do their best to revamp the league. But, I mean, in, in 2021, for sure, I do not think we will see XFL football, which is very sad. Definitely. And you mentioned a few minutes ago the TV deals with Fox and ESPN being important in the league's success. How much do you think the access and transparency played a role in the league's success? with viewers being able to hear the sky judges and the players and the coaches on every play? I think it was paramount to the success of the league in two ways. One, 
um, you don't you never get to hear the players and the coaches except for like the end of the NFL season. They do like the bad lip syncing and they put some of the mic'd up stuff. But even then, there's you'll have like Clay Matthews is one player who's mic'd up, or uh, I mean they'll have one player, maybe one coach mic'd up, and that's all you'll get to hear in that access. But we had the offensive coordinators, the defensive coordinators, the head coach, the players, everything. So I think that was just – it was more fun to watch. And I heard that from players. Their friends and their family were telling them, dude, I heard you, like, yelling on the field. That's really cool that you are not only shown on the TV broadcast, but they're heard. Also, on the other side, I've talked a lot to uh, people like Tom Hart, who's one of the guys who broadcasted for the XL. I talked to him a lot about the, the transparency. And what I mean by that is whenever there is a replay um, or an important play on the field in the XFL, the broadcast was able to hear and all the fans at home were able to hear the decision-making behind whatever conclusion they came to. And the important thing about that is it takes away some of the conspiracy theories that people can have. So, for instance, um, in New Orleans or in Chicago, uh, those teams think that the league has it out to get them. Now, especially like Bears, Vikings, Lions fans think that the league just wants Aaron Rodgers and the Packers to win. Now, I'm a Packers fan, so I'd be fine with that. But there is a, there's a lot of deep-rooted conspiracy in the NFL that the XFL wanted to just cut off at the pass and say, no, you're going to hear everything that's going on. So even if you didn't agree with the ruling on the field or what happened in the replay booth, you saw the reasoning, and so you saw the guy sitting up in the booth with his Xbox controller looking at it, talking to the officials. You heard all the reasoning, and I think not only was it innovative and fun, but it also just kind of calmed everyone down a little bit. It was much more chill. Uh, it was much more relaxed. You could hear everything going on, and so people didn't get upset from what I saw um, about replay reviews or anything an official did other than the weird, like, Houston game ending three seconds early. Um, that was an anomaly, but other than that, I think the transparency and the access that we had is one of the things that made people love the XFL so much. And that's what I love the most. And hopefully, maybe not like the sideline interview with a kicker right after he misses a kick, but I think the access is something the NFL could definitely do to kind of win some good graces with their fans and with the public moving forward. Absolutely. And I know just as a fan sitting on my own couch watching those games, the access was a great form of entertainment for me. Uh, so far, we have 24 players who have gone from the XFL and signed NFL contracts. How important do you think it was that they got that opportunity to play in the XFL and showcase their work so they could win win over those NFL scouts and get that NFL contract? Well, it was extremely valuable because the XFL, even though it was only five weeks, that was five weeks of professional football. So for guys like P.J. Walker, Jordan Tuamu, um, who have now signed quarterback deals with the Carolina Panthers and Kansas City Chiefs, respectively. They wouldn't have gotten that opportunity if the XFL didn't exist. There's a reason they were in the XFL, and I don't mean that to demean them or any of the other guys in the XFL. I mean that because they just haven't hit their stride yet. They haven't gotten the opportunity they need to make it in the NFL. So in that sense, um, I think the XFL or a spring football league like it, it doesn't have to be the same team names or the same um, ownership, things like that. But I think a spring football league would be fantastic. And the comparison I would draw is kind of to the NBA G League. And I don't know if you saw yesterday, Anderson, Jalen Green, I believe, signed a $500,000 contract, I think, with the uh, new NBA G League Los Angeles team that's coming up. And I think that is what the XFL could have become is something like an NBA G League where it's not really directly affiliated. There are NBA teams that don't have G League teams. It's not uh, – the G League isn't like minor league baseball in that sense. But I think the XFL could have become a very viable alternative option to college football because we've already seen with back basketball, guys like LaMelo, Ma LaMelo Ball, excuse me, guys like Jalen Green are going as high as they can in professional – basketball as early as they can so that they can get more exposure. And I think that's what the XFL could have become. Uh, it's very unfortunate that it folded because, as they say in the NCAA, they want to pay the players. That's one of the slogans people have um, kind of going against the players not getting paid. They put in all of this time for the universities. The universities make millions of dollars off of them, and they don't get a cent. Well, they're not supposed to get a cent. Um, 
but I think that was kind of the ceiling of the XFL, and I still think that's a possibility. Just most likely, in my opinion, it won't be the XFL with their same logos and trademarks. Interesting. And then final XFL question here. We saw a bunch of XFL rule variations this season in which rules varied from the NFL. Which, if any, of those rules do you see making their way to the NFL in the future? So the the thing I see making its way to the NFL is the kickoff. Because as we've seen in the last few years, the NFL is trying to put a very large emphasis on safety. They've increased their concussion protocols, uh, made it more attractive to have a touchback uh, that goes out to the 25-yard line instead of the 20 now on a kickoff. And so with, with the XFL, the kicking team and the receiving team started five yards apart, I believe at like the 30-yard line or something like that, of the receiving team. And the kicker was by himself on the other side. The returner is by himself in the end zone. And that created not only a lot more safety, but it created a lot more action because they also had extreme penalties for kicking the ball out of bounds or a touchback on a kickoff. So I believe it was 97% of XFL kickoffs were returned. And we had two kickoff returns for a touchdown. There's also just a lot more strategy involved because you have those guys so close together. And so there was a lot of, like, jet sweep action and all of that going on in kickoffs, which you would never really see in the NFL other than a lap-ditch lateral play at the end of the game. So I think that is not only the the rule that could go into the NFL um, the, the quickest and the most effectively, but also I think it would be the most fun. I like the, the conversion, the one, two, three point conversion, um, but I don't think the NFL will do that as quickly. But I think the kickoff rule, because of how safe and exciting it makes the play and with how aware the American public is becoming of concussions and all of that and safety when it comes to football, I think that is the world that the NFL should and will adopt the quickest. I agree and definitely think we could see that soon. What about the access to a sky judge and just having one present in the stadium? What do you think about that? Um, Probably not. I mean, we kind of already have that with, like, Mike Pereira sitting in on broadcasts and things like that. Um, but I think the NFL already has so much. Let me put it this way. The only way that would happen is if they gave us the amount of access that the XFL had, had when it came to replay reviews, and I think we could all agree that that's not going to happen. I think those would kind of go hand in hand. Um, so without a lot more access when it comes to officials, unfortunately, I don't see that happening. Yeah. And then final question, with the coronavirus obviously hitting hard, what are some things you're doing to pass the time uh, to stay focused on just sports, stay safe, just different things you're doing to pass the time because... We all know we have so much time on our hands right now. So, one, I'm kind of launching a rebrand of all of my content. So I am doing a lot of work with one of my PR friends from school. We're creating a website that will house basically all of my content. So, A, it's going to be good for just like, you know, a portfolio. If I ever get like a job interview or something like that, I can just send them there. Um, but also... What it's going to house is all of my articles. I started writing for Infinity Sports Network, which is just kind of a, a smaller blog. We cover all sports. Anthony Miller, who is a uh, XFL board writer that I worked with, um, got me in touch with them. And then I'm also going to be starting a new podcast that will come out May 4th. As well as May 4th, I will be starting uh, my own YouTube channel called MJ Hurley Sports. So that's kind of like the business side that I'm transitioning to now that the XFL is over with. But personally, I mean, I'm just playing a lot of 2K, Madden, um, NFL Game Pass has all the old Packers games, so I've been rewatching that, uh, rewatching some with my dad, just trying to stay active, um, learn as much as I can, watch old, I'm, I've been watching old, old basketball highlights, um, kind of learning more about those generations that I didn't see personally play. And so, I mean, just personally and professionally doing as much as I can to learn about the game, stay active in whatever odd ways I can, watching the NBA 2K tourney, the MLB player, MLB the show players tourney. Shout out to Joey Gallo going off on the rest of the MLB. Uh, so kind of just doing things like that, taking in whatever sports I can and uh, trying to produce as much sports content as I can on the flip side so that I can keep, you know, a couple of people entertained in the meantime. Sounds good, man. I'm looking forward to reading your content. Uh, keep looking at all your great posts on Twitter. Last thing, if you have any social media accounts or websites that you'd like to plug, 
Here's a chance to do that right now. Go ahead. So you can follow me on Twitter at MJHurley47. That's H-U-R-L-E-Y and then MJ at being. Um, and then my website is MJHurleySports.com. It doesn't look fantastic right now, but on May 4th, you can go take a look at that. Um, and then my Instagram is also MJHurleySports, and my YouTube will be MJHurleySports. Trying to make it, you know, kind of centralized with all of that. Um, so that's where you can find me. A lot more stuff will be coming out um, that first Monday in May. In the meantime, I'm doing some writing as I can for ISN. Um, so that's where you can find me. And Anderson, thank you for having me on the show. It's a pleasure as always. Likewise. Always great to talk sports with you. Thanks for coming on the show and stay safe, MJ. You too. Talk to you later. That concludes the first episode of the Double Play Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, make sure to check out the podcast on Twitter at Double Play PTST and Primetime Sports Talk on Twitter at Talk Primetime. Always great to talk sports. Thanks again to Logan Pimet and MJ Hurley for joining the show today to talk about the MLB and XFL, respectively. Both great, great, great sports minds there. Uh, We'll link their social media profiles in the description of this podcast. Thank you again for joining me. My name's Anderson Picard. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Double Play Podcast. In the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at Anderson Picard. Signing off for now. See you next week. Thank you.